0: Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media to make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. In the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We all know that Satan is very crafty, right? He's full of tricks. But Christ has come to shine his light into the world to expose the deceptions of Satan so that we come to know how to navigate through all of these traps in our life. Right. So as he says in the conclusion of this passage, he says, If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has what? Has come upon you. right? So I've come to shine my light, to cast out Satan, to expose his deceptions. Now in Colossians 2.15, St. Paul says that "...having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it." Right, so it's important for us to have an awareness of Satan's tricks just as Christ came to disarm Satan, right, to curb him and to expose his deceptions. And so I want to share with you a few thoughts from a book that we've been covering recently, a book by C.S. Lewis called Screwtape Letters. Okay? It's basically just a compilation of letters. Okay? And they're letters written by Satan to his younger little nephew, teaching him how to be a better tempter, how to be a better devil. Right? So he's basically training him. It's kind of like demonology 101. Okay? <laughs> so he's training him to be a better devil. So I'm going to do something a little different today. And I'm going to briefly just mention what each one of these temptations in every letter is about. We're going to just take a little sneak peek. You know, Hopefully you'll actually read the whole book later. But this is just going to be some rapid fire brief overview of each one of these letters. Okay? And so it's going to be like information overload because we're going to fly through it. You're definitely not going to remember every single one of these temptations. But at least keep in mind a couple that resonate with you. With every one of these temptations as we go through a little overview of each letter, think about how it applies to you. Think about what struggles may relate to your spiritual life when it comes to this specific temptation. Okay? And again, we're gonna fly through it, so brace yourself. It's gonna be like rapid fire, okay? Just so we can keep this short and sweet. And of course, as we go through these temptations, the focus is not so much on the temptation itself, but on the remedy that Christ gives us to deal with this temptation. Okay? So in the very first letter, Screwtape, which is the older demon, is writing to his younger nephew, Wormwood. And he's talking to him about thought and reason. He's basically saying, make sure you convince the human that's assigned to you not to think about much, right? Don't think about all the spiritual matters. Just think about the tangible, the physical things, right? Think about the physical material because that's ultimately what matters. The spiritual stuff doesn't really matter. Just focus on that. Focus on what you can see and what you can touch, okay? And that's often a temptation that we fall into just to focus on the tangible and never to pause and to really, really think. Right? And once we think and we use our mind and our logic, it typically directs us to God and to walk by faith. Okay? In the next letter, the temptation is about distractions. Okay, and so this is really crafty because Screw Tape is telling Wormwood, tempt your your human being not necessarily to avoid church, but to go and to focus on all of the stuff around him. Focus on the people, focus on all the distractions, focus on what people are wearing, what people are doing, who's coming in, who's walking out, and what they look like, and all of that, right? Just notice all the nonsense around you. And so, it's a good question to ask myself if I'm coming to church physically, but mentally I'm somewhere else. The third temptation is about relationships, right? And so... He's basically tempting him to notice all the faults in other people. Right? you have a lot of relationships in your life. right? Family, friends, relatives, whatever. And so the temptation is just to notice all of the issues in their life, but never to pause and reflect on your own life. And to realize the issues that you also have. Right? And so just focus on the problems with other people. And keep him blind to his own issues. The fourth letter is about sincere prayer. So he says, look, try to prevent him from praying, but if you can't, that's okay. Just like distort the nature of, him, of his prayers. Have him focus his prayers only on himself. right? Or have him just follow his mood. Or have him depend on his own feelings to dictate his prayers. Right? And a lot of times, we're tempted to think that The value of our prayer is dependent on the presence of the feelings that motivate it, right? But whether feelings are there or not, that doesn't matter. We're often tempted to weigh the substance of our prayers and and to evaluate our prayers based on the presence of the, the feelings and the emotions behind our prayers. But whether prayers are dry or fervent, what matters is that they're sincere, okay? In the fifth letter, he talks about calamities or, or disasters around us. So he says, consider every catastrophe or disaster as inherently evil. That's the temptation to think that every disaster is inherently evil. But even something as tragic or as violent as war, and think about how tragic war is, even something that tragic can pose several possibilities to love and to sacrifice. Nothing is inherently evil except when sin comes into it, whenever we abuse it. Right? So every disaster, every catastrophe still gives us a possibility to love, to pray, to serve. Right? And so think about all of the catastrophes around us, the wars that are going on around us. There's still opportunities for us to love and not to project evil out into the world. The sixth temptation is about diversions. He says, focus on all the evil. Right? Distract him from God and let his fear consume him. And we're often tempted to just face all of the distractions and, and all of the wickedness around us by projecting that evil out to other people. right? And so he wants to divert our attention from, from God to just focus on the evil. And then to project that to everybody and that hatred ultimately will consume us whenever we're constantly focusing on the evil and projecting that to other people right so that's another pitfall that we should be very careful about the seventh one is about extremism he says force him to live in the extremes right not to have a moderate balanced life force him to live in the extremes we're either totally complacent or we're extremely harsh or, or judgmental, right? We find ourselves falling into those extremes sometimes. But we should only be extreme in our love and our devotion to God. That's the only place where we should walk with that like, extreme passion. Otherwise, we need to live with a balanced, moderate life, right? The eighth one is about undulations. I know it's a big word. But undulations are basically like peaks and troughs, highs and lows. So he basically says to dramatize all the fluctuations we experience in life. And we ultimately do experience several highs and lows in life, right? It's part of our natural humanity. And he says, him to be forgetful and lackadaisical in the highs, and hopeless and depressed in the lows. Right? That's the temptation. Right? And he says that the greatest danger for Satan is actually during our lows. He says, be careful whenever he's at his lowest because that's whenever he can glorify God the most. Right? Whenever we feel down. Because those dry moments are whenever we can sacrifice and love God with like a greater devotion than any other time. Okay. Next is pleasures. And so this temptation is actually not to vilify pleasures, to make pleasures out to be evil in their inherent sense. It's not necessarily to make them inherently wicked, but to misuse pleasures. Because God gave us a lot of pleasures, a lot of things that we should enjoy. But the evil is in misusing the pleasures in our life. And one perfect example is our sexuality. Something that God gave us as a good part of our life, but we often misuse that. The tenth one is about company. It basically says just minimize the impact of the friends around you. No, don't think that your friends are really a big deal. Like whether you have good or bad friends, it doesn't matter. You can allow bad company around you all the time; it won't really affect you, right? We know First Corinthians fifteen thirty-three it says, "Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts what? Good morals." Okay. The 11th one is about laughter. right? So he says, distort the proper use of laughter. Laughter is a good thing, but a lot of times it can lead us to a whimsical life. Laughter can be a wonderful source of joy. But again, it can lead us to flippancy. Flippancy is basically to take nothing seriously. right? To just be loose and careless all the time. To lack respect for the seriousness of things around you. In the twelfth letter, this temptation is literally to do nothing. Okay? It's the temptation of indifference. It says, blind him to any sinfulness in his life. Right? Don't mislead him by a whole lot so he's not aware of how much he's straying. Right? Because at this point, Wormwood was really trying to knock his, his patient, the human that he's tempting, off track. And so... Screw to resound them like slow down a little, so he doesn't notice that he's off track, right? And then there's a beautiful quote that he says: "The safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts." Right. The thirteenth one is about feelings. He says, encourage him to value the feelings he has towards repentance, right? It's good to have those feelings, but stop there, right? Encourage him to have feelings towards how how lovely it would be to serve other people, right? That's a good feeling to have, but stop there. Don't act on that feeling, like, you know, cultivate all of those good feelings about all the virtues that you should have, but stop there, right? And he goes on to say, the more often he feels without acting, the less he'll be able ever to act, and in the long run, the less he'll be able to feel. How often do we feel this inclination to repent, but don't actually repent? Or the feel, the inclination to love or to serve, but we stop at the feeling. The 14th one is about humility. And this temptation is so twisted, because he basically tempts his patient, the human being, to boast in his discovery of this virtue and his ability to put himself last, right? And so he's even proud about his virtue, which is really contrary to what humility is all about, right? When we have humility, we don't acknowledge any humility in ourselves. That's why the greatest saints recognize themselves to be the most sinful. Right? And so I should ask myself whether I fall into this. The fifteenth one is about time, okay? He says to basically keep his his mind focused on any time but the present, right To regret the past, to fear the future, to have anxieties about tomorrow, but never to live in the present moment. right And that's a big temptation. I have to ask myself whether. I fall into that pitfall to live anywhere but in the present. (laughs) The 16th one is one that can relate to our church. He says to avoid church but if you can't have him avoid church at least just have him church hop until he finds the best church that suits him. Okay and so I have to ask myself if I'm truly rooted in my parish Am I truly devoted in one specific service? Or do I like to just jump around until I find what suits me? Because the temptation is not necessarily to avoid church altogether, but just jump around from here to there. Don't really get yourself rooted in the service and to, to benefit your parish. The 17th one's about food. Right? This one's interesting because he says food is fine, but try to misuse it, right? And so we fall into a sin of gluttony. And he highlights two different types of gluttony. There's the gluttony of excess and the gluttony of delicacy. Sometimes we eat an excessive amount of food and that's a type of gluttony. But sometimes we just indulge in the delicacies, right? We lust over every delicate type of food and, and that is a form of gluttony. And again, for our culture, I think that definitely relates. Right? So we have to ask ourselves if I really resist this temptation. The 18th one is about marriage. He says, distort the meaning of marriage and love. Right? Make him focus on satisfying his own selfish desires. Because marriage is not really for your, your love towards another person. It's to satisfy yourself. Right? And he says that this is basically the foundation of hell. Because in hell... Everyone's consumed in their own desires, not to love the other. But we know marriage is about belonging to each other. Marriage is about love and sacrifice. And the greatest satisfaction we have is found in loving other people. The greatest satisfaction we have is found in loving the other. But the temptation is to distort that. To think that the greatest satisfaction will come in a possessive way of life. Right? To satisfy my own desires alone, even at the expense of others, and to think that the gain of another is at the expense of my loss. But we know that's not true. The nineteenth one is about motives. Okay, this temptation is specifically in regards to God's love. Right? He's tempting him to question the sincerity of God's love. Right? He claims that God must have an ulterior motive to love these creatures. Like, there's no way he could possibly love them. Because like they're constantly turning on him, they're unfaithful, they're rebellious. There's no way God can possibly love them. Sometimes we actually fall into that temptation to doubt God's unconditional love. We have to be careful because if we doubt God's love for us, as radical as it may seem, we sever our bond with him. Okay? The 20th one is about sexuality. It says basically tempt him to objectify people around him, to objectify women. And if that fails, to use marriage as a means to satisfy his lusts, right? Just get married so that you can satisfy your lusts, okay? And so we know that marriage isn't just a route to legitimize our lust. Like We still have to be chaste even within marriage. Right? And we have to pursue chastity in every stage of our life. So I have to ask myself if I'm using my sexuality in the pure way that God intended. The 21st one is about entitlement. Right? Make him confuse all his privileges for entitlements. To think that he's entitled to everything. Right? Not to consider what he has as a privilege, as a gift from God. And so if we're grateful, if we recognize that we really have nothing, then we'll see everything in our life as divine providence. We don't walk around with our heads held up high as if we're entitled to every little thing. Right? And we do live in a very entitled society. We live in an entitled culture. So we have to be careful with that. The 22nd one is about family. And this temptation is basically to create noise, in the family to create noise in the house just create a bunch of noise because satan hates harmony he hates music he hates silence and so the way to break families apart is just to create a bunch of noise right and so we have to ask ourselves if we give ourselves a chance to enjoy God's presence in the silence of our heart or do we let satan just cause confusion and distortions in our life by all the noise around us. The 23rd one is about Jesus himself, the historical figure, Jesus. And he's basically telling him, don't necessarily tempt the human being to reject Jesus. But tempt him to think about Jesus as nothing more than this great prophet or a great moral teacher, right? You don't have to reject him. Just make him consider that Jesus is nothing more than a great moral teacher. So I have to ask myself, who is Jesus to me? Who is he to me? Is he just a great moral teacher or a great prophet? Some great guy that lived 2,000 years ago? Or is he my savior? Is he my lord? Is he my master? And if he is my lord and master, do I serve him as my lord and master? The 24th one is about arrogance. Arrogance. Right? And this temptation is basically to elevate his own thoughts and his own beliefs about other people. Right? To think that he is above everyone else and he's entitled to a more elevated opinion. Like what he says matters and that's it. Right? And so we definitely have our own convictions about the truth, which is good. But we should always hold that with humility. right? We should recognize the extent of our own ignorances as well. Because we are all limited. We're all ignorant to one extent or another. The 25th one is about routine. And this is a good one because we, we often fall into this. So the temptation is basically to capitalize on his boredom with the same old thing. How often do we get bored with the same old thing? And we say, no, I need to change it up. I need something new. I need something fresh. Right? And so... It's good to have a vibrant life with fresh new things. But we need to also appreciate the benefit of doing the same old thing. If it's a good routine, a good habit, it must be established by that repetition. Right? So don't be fooled whenever you're in a repetitive cycle with a good thing. The 26th one is about charity. Okay. So he says, if you can't prevent his charity... Just teach him to be unselfish, to get as much back in return, right? And so, we might think being unselfish is great, and and it is, it's good, but a lot of times we're unselfish only to get back in return. True charity is to give and to offer and to sacrifice out of love alone, expecting nothing in return, right? And so, it's deceptive because he said, you know, it's okay for him to be unselfish, but... To do so with ulterior motives because we have to ask ourselves we fall into that as well the 27th letter is about petitions and this is more specific to prayers so he says basically make him doubt the efficacy of his petitionary prayers and so if he gets what he prays for just convince him that the natural forces around him actually cause that to happen and if he doesn't get what he prayed for then obviously prayer doesn't work Right? And so that causes him to doubt the, the benefit and efficacy of petitionary prayer. Right? But we know that prayer works. Okay, 28 is about perseverance. Right? And so this is in the context of World War II, by the way. And so the war is progressing and death seems extremely possible at, at this time. Okay? And so this temptation is actually to protect his patient in order to prolong his life and give him more time to cause him to stumble. right? Because Satan knows death is a passage to eternal life. And so as the war is progressing, he's actually afraid that his human being will die as a Christian. And so we're tempted... To fatigue and to get exhausted and to just lose heart as life gets tough. But remember, even as we're approaching death, as we're approaching our end, it's only a passage to eternal life. And so the 29th one is about the danger that we face. Right? And again, this is in the context of World War II, which is a great danger. So he says, make him feel. Fearful in the face of danger. Okay, and remember that there's no sin in fearfulness. Right? If we're fearful, there's no sin in that. But it's whenever our fear leads to cowardice. That's the sin. Right? When we become like cowards in the face of danger. And so we surrender that fear to God and hope in Him. The thirtieth one is about fatigue. Right? This is a big one because, again, after we continue to fight and to struggle, Satan is often trying not necessarily to make us fall into a specific sin, but to just exhaust us, to deplete all of our energy, so that we become resentful or bitter and we lose heart. And so, his intentions are not necessarily to make us fall into a specific sin, but if he can deplete your energy, then he succeeded. So be careful when you feel depleted. Okay, find your source of energy from God. right? And, and that will keep you going. That will keep you motivated. That will give you hope. Okay. And the 31st one, the final one, is about the end. I won't tell you what that one's really all about. So keep you a little teaser. <laughs> And hopefully every single one of these temptations are just like a brief overview, okay? So that you can give yourself time to reflect on your life and hopefully even read the book if you get a chance because it's a wonderful book. Barely even scratch the surface of all of the, the trickeries and the deceptions that Satan uses to tempt us. But when we lean on God and we, we walk in his light, he exposes all of these deceptions so that we can follow in his footsteps. And that's essentially what it means to walk with Christ, right? So that the devil doesn't have a hold on us, but we're walking with God and we have no fear because we're hopeful in Him. Unto God is due all glory forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.